Hello there, and welcome to episode 8 of What You May Have Missed. Slowly but surely, we are edging closer and closer to the finale of the series, and there is only one episode that stands in the way of that double bill extravaganza. As I promised last week, we are off to our fifth and last new country of this series today for not one, not two, but three tales from these lands. This week, we are venturing west from the Norse mythology of last week and entering the legends of the Native Americans from what is now the United States of Americans. legends from North America are not too dissimilar from both those of the African continent, in regard to their sheer variety and multitude of gods, and the fact that there is no single uniting mythology, and those of the Norse myths, in regard to the way they were passed on from generation to generation through oral storytelling. As far as I'm aware, there is no knowing exactly how old the legends of the Native Americans are. We do know that the tales usually originated around the area that a tribe traditionally lived, but given their oral tradition there is just no knowing for certain just how old these stories are. The three stories I'm going to tell you today are all highly entertaining, well, I think they are, and they come from two bands of the Pitt River tribe, the Akamawi and the Atsugui, who live in northeastern California. The first tale is a creation story something we have not had since episode one. The second revolves around kidnapping, and the third revolves around theft. Ooh, exciting. The names of the characters in these stories may be those of animals, such as coyote, ground squirrel, and lizard, but given the recurring theme of close connection between animal and people, this is one constant through the Native American legends. So in these stories, the animals named are actually anthropomorphized versions of the animals that they are in real life. Anyway, let's get stuck in, shall we? The Creation In the beginning, everything was water. In every direction, the sky was clear and unobstructed, except for a cloud that had just formed. It grew greater and greater and lumpy, and turned, inexplicably, into coyote. Then a mist appeared, and it too grew lumpy, and spontaneously developed into silver fox. Both of them thought, quite independently from one another, what we need is about. And poof! A canoe appeared out of thin air. Ah, perfect, said coyote. This can be our home. For a good many years, Silver Fox and Coyote floated on their little canoe until such time that it grew very old and mossy, and they were rather fed up with spending all their waking days in its hull. Coyote yawned with boredom. Have a lie down, 
Silver Fox said to him. When Coyote's snores had started to fill the empty air, Silver Fox started to comb his hair with his hands. There was a great deal of shavings that came from him, but rather than ditch them, Silver Fox started to use them. First he used his hands to roll the fur into a ball, then stretched them out and then flattened them again between his hands. When he had finished manipulating the fur shavings, he laid them gently on the water and spread them out so far, in fact, that they covered all of the water's surface. Hmm, he thought. There's something missing. Ah, yes, a tree! And, lo and behold, a vast green tree appeared. He did the same for shrubs and rocks. He used very large rocks to weigh down the film of fur over the water so as to stop it rippling or floating around in the wind. That's much better, he thought to himself. This shall be the world. Just then, the canoe bumped gently up towards the bank of this new world. Wake up! Silver Fox cried out to Coyote. Wake up! We're going to sink! Coyote jerked awake and saw, directly above his head, a bough of a cherry tree and a bough of a peach tree. Opening his ears, he heard crickets chirruping, but obviously he did not know they were crickets. Coyote reached up and plucked one of the plums from the tree and began to eat. We're in the water, are we? What is this new and juicy food-filled place we've come to? He asked Silver Fox. No idea, Silver Fox lied. We are just here, just floated up to the shore while you were sleeping. Why is Silver Fox lying, I hear you ask? Well, it's simple. He did not want Coyote knowing that he had created the world. Then Silver Fox said, What shall we do? It's pretty solid ground. I'm going ashore and I reckon I'm going to live here. So they landed on the shore and built a house to live in. After a time, Silver Fox thought about making people. He gathered sticks from a berry tree and whittled them down, working through the night to complete his work. The shavings that came from the sticks became the ordinary people of the world, and the finished sticks became the best and most extraordinary kind of people. A bit selective, but there we go. And there were also all the animals of the world in these shavings. By sunset the following day, Silver Fox was ready to breathe life into them, and he did so. They became living, breathing people. Silver Fox sent them all off in different directions to find different places to live, and that night he and Coyote joined in a fabulous feast. But Coyote was a bit jealous of Silver Fox's creation and wanted to do the same. He had watched what Silver Fox had done to create his people, and so he copied exactly what he had done. It took around the same amount of time for Coyote to create his people, and by sunset the next day, he too breathed life into them. But just as he had given life to his people, Coyote, for some reason, decided it would be good fun to chase some of the women and try and catch them. He did exactly this, but the moment he caught them, the moment his hand touched them, they turned instantly back into sticks and shavings, much to Silver Fox's amusement. Well, it was a good attempt. Hard luck, old chap. 
Pine Martin was the chief of the people, and Eagle was the woman chief, for she was Pine Martin's sister. The newly-born people went out to hunt from the house where they shot and killed deer with their bows, and when they returned they had plenty to eat. To hunt, the people used arrows with pine bark points, for there was no obsidian. But Ground Squirrel had discovered where obsidian could be found. He kept its location a deep secret until he decided it was time to steal it. He headed for a place called Medicine Lake, for it was there that Obsidian Old Man lived in a large house. Ground Squirrel knocked on the door and entered the house, taking with him some tasty roots in a basket. These he gave to the old man to eat, who liked them so much that he sent Ground Squirrel back out to get more. But while he was digging for them, Grizzly Bear came along and said, Sit down. Let me sit by you whilst you feed me these roots by the handful. Being so terrified of Grizzly Bear, Ground Squirrel sat down and fed Grizzly Bear as he had asked. Then, out of nowhere, the bear said, Obsidian old man's mother cleaned roots for someone. And with that he disappeared into the trees. A bit random. Ground Squirrel went back to the obsidian old man's house, with only a few roots left, as Grizzly Bear had eaten so many. He gave them to the old man and told him what the bear had said about him and how he had robbed him of the roots. This made Obsidian Old Man very angry. Tomorrow we will go, he said. He didn't specify where, but with those four words he went off to sleep. In the morning they ate an early breakfast and went off. The old man told Ground Squirrel that he should go and dig more roots and that he would wait and watch for Grizzly Bear. Ground Squirrel did as he was bid and went and dug, and when his basket was filled, Grizzly Bear appeared again. You have dug all these for me. Sit down and feed me. Ground Squirrel sat down and fed Grizzly Bear roots by the handful again, but Obsidian Old Man had sneaked over very quietly. When Obsidian Old Man leapt out of the trees, Grizzly Bear got up to fight, and he swiped at the old man. But the old man turned his side to the blow, and Grizzly Bear merely cut off quite a large chunk of his own flesh. Oops. Not learning from his rather daft mistake, Grizzly Bear kept on fighting until he was so cut to pieces that he fell dead. Ground Squirrel and Obsidian Old Man Rejoicing in Grizzly Bear's death, returned home to the house, where they built a fire and ate the roots. Then the old man went to sleep, but in the morning, when Obsidian Old Man woke up, he heard Ground Squirrel groaning. I'm sick, he moaned. I'm bruised because that massive git sat on me. Really, I am sick. Obsidian Old Man was sorry but he had no idea that Ground Squirrel was tricking him, much like a child who doesn't want to go to school does. After a while of listening to Ground Squirrel's moaning, the old man said, I will go and get wood, and thought, I'll watch him, for he could be fooling me. These people are very clever. He left the house for wood, but 
still not entirely trusting Ground Squirrel, he thought, I had better go back and look. He returned to the house very quietly and peered in. But there was Ground Squirrel lying there still and groaning until he vomited up some green substance. Lovely. He really is quite ill, the old man thought, finally believing Ground Squirrel, and he headed once more to collect some wood. But we know that Ground Squirrel truly was fooling the Obsidian Old Man, for he wanted to steal Obsidian. When the old man had come back quietly, seen Squirrel being very ill on his floor and decided to believe his story and then left again, Ground Squirrel got up and emptied the pot of finished obsidian points, took a dagger from the wall, put them all into a bundle and ran off into the trees. When the old man came back carrying a heavy load of wood, he discovered an empty pot and a missing Ground Squirrel. He had been duped. He dropped his wood with a clatter and ran after him. He very nearly caught him, but Ground Squirrel ran into a hole and, as he tried to follow, kicked the earth into the eyes of the old man, who dug fast trying to catch him. Soon Ground Squirrel ran out of the other end of the hole and the old man tried to chase him again, but no luck. Ground Squirrel darted into another hole and after missing him again, Obsidian Old Man was too tired to dig after him. He gave up and went home without his obsidian. Ground Squirrel crossed the river and deposited his load of arrow points in a safe place and came back to the house where he sat down in his seat and slept next to his friend, Cocoon. When they woke the following morning, Cocoon said, Where have you been? We went to get a knife and some good arrow points. We had nothing but pine bark. Then the people who had been hunting with these exact pine bark arrows returned with their breakfasts of deer. When they cooked their meat, they put it on the fire in lumps, but Ground Squirrel and Cocoon, using the obsidian dagger, cut theirs in thin slices and so cooked it in nice slender strips, like venison bacon. Weasel saw this and quizzed Ground Squirrel, who told him about how the knife had been secured. After breakfast, Ground Squirrel went and brought back the bundle of obsidian points he had hidden and handed it down through the smoke hole to Wolf, who poured out the points on the ground and distributed them to everyone. All day long, people worked, tying them onto arrows. They threw away all the old arrows with bark points, and when they went hunting, they found that these new arrowheads were superior in every way, and that they could catch many more deer on which to feast. Fishhawk and the Sun's Daughter Fishhawk lived down at Pitt River. During the summer, Sun carried his daughter with him, but when he travelled in winter, he left his daughter at home. Sun did not want his daughter to marry any poor person, but rather a great man like Pine Martin, Wolf or Coyote. This angered Fishhawk, because Sun talked in this way of poor people and he didn't like it. So he journeyed off down to the ocean to Sun's palace. It was winter now, and Sun's daughter was put away inside the house in a basket. Fishhawk stole her, carried her on his back to Coyote's house, and hid her away. He managed to do all this in one night, which is rather impressive if a bit 
creepy and arrest-worthy. Next morning, Sun could not find his daughter, obviously, and did not know where she had gone. That morning, Fishhawk took the basket with the woman in it and placed it under the rocks in muddy water to hide it so that Sun could not see or find his daughter. Sun searched everywhere in the air and on the ground, but to no avail. He then hired all the men who were good divers or swimmers to hunt in the water, for that was surely the only other place she could be. They all searched until they came to Pit River. One would search part of the way, then another. Kingfisher was the last man to go in search of her. He went along slowly to look where the water was muddy. After much searching, he thought he saw just a bit of something under the water. Then he carefully went over to the place. There were many people probing the river for Sun's daughter, and Kingfisher watched these men. He filled his pipe, smoked it, and blew on the water to make it clear, for he was a great shaman. Then he rose up in the air and came down over the place. The search party were all excited and believed he would surely find something. He drifted along slowly, smoking his pipe, and blew the smoke over the water. Then he landed back, rolling up his pipe and tobacco, and put them away. Next he took a long pole and stood over the place he had found. He pushed his pole down deep and speared with it until he got hold of the basket and pulled it out. What a clever clogs! Sun appeared at Kingfisher's side, untied the basket hastily, and took his daughter out. He paid each of the men he had hired very handsomely, part of it in shells, weirdly. Kingfisher informed Sun that it was Fishhawk who had hidden the basket. But, peculiarly, Sun was so happy to have his daughter returned to him that he did nothing to Fishhawk for stealing her. Literally nothing. Maybe he needs a lesson or two from Liam Neeson. Blue Jay, Lizard, and the Grizzly Bears Some grizzly bears lived in a large house near to where Blue Jay and Lizard lived. Blue Jay and Lizard had all kinds of food stored in bags in their pantry, but the grizzly bears had only acorns and used to have to go to the other house in order to get salmon and meat. One day, a grizzly bear went over at sundown and sat down. I was sent over for scraps. All right, I'll get out some salmon, said Blue Jay, and they gave the grizzly bear a large pile of food. When he got back home, one of the other bears was surprised. They always give us a lot of food. In the morning, another grizzly went to Blue Jay and Lizard's house and returned back with a huge basket of pine nuts, and that evening... Another went and came back with a lot of sunflower seeds. It eventually came to pass that Blue Jay and Lizard gave away all the food they had, and given their lack of food, they began to get hungry. Lizard, however, had been afraid that this would happen, so he had hidden ten salmon under his pillow while Blue Jay had gone after wood one day. When all the rest of the food was gone, Lizard produced this reserve supply, much to Blue Jay's delight, and the two of them lived on this for a time until winter. 
the grizzly bears had saved much of the food they had managed to black from Lizard and Blue Jay and feasted while they were left starving. The grizzly bears, rather nastily, hoped that Blue Jay and Lizard would die in the snow. Indeed, Blue Jay soon became very weak, but Lizard was still able to get about. One day, Lizard covered up the coals with ashes in their house, closed the smoke hole and, taking his knife, crept over to the house where the grizzly bears were sleeping. Lizard looked in and saw all the swathes of food they had in their storage. Then he went into the house and picked out the largest grizzly bear. He then did something rather disgusting, yet it may seem to some an appropriate punishment for the grizzly bear's unpleasantness. Lizard crawled, and there's no other way of saying this, up the bear's bottom and cut out his heart. He brought the heart out, then skinned the body of the bear. The other bears somehow managed to sleep through all this, which is remarkable given the noise I can only imagine the unlucky bear produced as he was being rather savagely revenged upon. Lizard then baked the unfortunate bear's liver quickly in the ashes of the fire and ate it. He then leant a pole up against the door, using it to walk on so the grizzly bears could not see his tracks. He took all the grizzly bear meat home with him and a basket of acorns. He found Blue Jay almost dead, but he cooked some meat and gave him some and after getting a little stronger he was able to eat much more, and the pair of them ate nearly all night. The following morning, the grizzly bears woke up to discover one of their number missing. Lizard had left no trace of his killing. The bears thought he had merely gone out of the house for a bit, so they were not worried, but built a fire and ate some of their stash. For fear of being discovered alive, Lizard and Blue Jay kept quiet in their house and did not move at all. Every night, though, Lizard returned to the grizzly bear's house and did the same thing, killing one of the bears until he had killed four of them. The grizzly bears did not suspect what the trouble was, for they thought both Lizard and Blue Jay were dead. They never suspected that Lizard was slowly culling their numbers. And this way, Lizard and Blue Jay lived through the winter. And there we go. Three highly entertaining tales from the Native Americans. What did you think of them? I enjoy the tales from these lands the more I read, and I'll tell you now, there is a lot of material to read. If you have any questions regarding today's legend, or any tales from the series, or just anything myth-related, please get in touch via email on themythspodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter on at mythpodcast, on Instagram at what you may have mythed, or on the TikTok at what you may have miffed. And if you're feeling particularly generous, you could even buy me a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com slash themythspodcast. Next week, we are venturing to the first part of the season finale of this series, and my goodness, what a double bill I have in store for you. We finished last series on a two-part episode about the War of Troy, and at the end... All the big hitters' stories were wrapped up. Maybe not nicely, but they all came to an end. All except one. Remember who it was? 
Yes, well done. We are venturing into the second of Homer's great epics and hearing the tale of one of those great heroes of the War of Troy. So I shall see you next week for another episode of What You May Have Mythed and the story of Odysseus. <laughs>